made you as numerous as the stars of the skies. And the second reading tonight is on page 1059 of the Church Bible from 1 Corinthians um, 1231 to chapter 1313. But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Jane. It's just lovely to see you tonight. We're, in, we're back in 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you know me well, you know that I love to sing. If you stood near me in church, you know I love to sing loudly. Uh, if you know me, you know I'd love to be a, a worship pastor, but God has not given me that gift, and you are blessed because of that. Uh, but you know when you're singing songs in church, and you come across a line in a song, and you think, I'd love to sing that, but I find that really hard to say. It's a bit like the, uh, the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. That last verse, you know, love so amazing, so divine, divines my soul and my life and my all. That, that's a high bar, isn't it? As you sing, you're thinking, I, I, I want to mean that, but God, that's really hard. Well, one of my favorite songs is Hosanna. And the bridge goes... Um, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. And I find that last line really hard to sing. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Because if I'm honest, sometimes I don't want to love people like that. Let me be brutally honest tonight. There are, there are people I find really hard to love. If I'm honest, I, I don't want to have that, that selfless love and that sacrificial love. And I don't want to have that, that lavish love because there are some people I find really hard to love. And so when I come to that line in the song, I'm, th- I'm thinking, can I sing this? I want to sing it, but I find it hard to sing. It's like our, our mission statement, you know, living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. Living our life under his lordship and, and loving like Jesus. 
as a church, we're saying, hey, we love each other well, and we love our community well, and we love our world well. But again, I find that really hard, because I know that there are people I don't love well. I know often my love is selective, and my love is sporadic, and my love is selfish. And I'm here tonight to say, Church by the Bridge, that we need to love well. We need to love well. We need to love God well, don't we? With our whole, our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. But we need to love each other well. Not, not in a, a worldly kind of love, but in a, in a Christ-like kind of love. Lavish, unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you, you know it's all about love, but, but Paul, Paul is basically says to the Corinthian church, you can have all the best programs and all the best preaching, but if you're not loving well, it's pointless. You can have all the plans and all your prayers and all your exciting outreach and all your strategies, but if you're not loving well, it's worthless. But love is at the heart of God, God isn't it? That, 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 that four-letter word, love, L-O-V-E, is at the heart of our God, isn't it? Now, if you know your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus sums up the whole of the Old Testament. The whole of the Old Testament in one word, love. He says, love the Lord your God with your whole, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God, love each other. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Colossians chapter 3. He says, as dearly loved children, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and with humility. And over all these virtues, put on, what's the word? Love. Uh, Paul is saying, you know, love is like the, the crowning virtue of what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus walked on the earth, he said uh, to his disciples in John chapter 13, uh, a new commandment I give you. What was it? Love one another. As I have loved you. That, 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 that's the model. That's the example. That's the bar. As I have loved you, you, you must you must love one another. And then he kind of twists the knife in and says, you know, by this, by the way that you love each other, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What he's saying there is, uh, Christians, you know, uh, the watching world doesn't necessarily hear our sermons. It doesn't see our music. It doesn't uh, engage in our outreach. But it does see the way that we love each other. And that communicates volumes. Remember the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, uh, when the risen Lord Jesus is looking down at his churches and giving his verdict. There's a church called the Ephesian church. Paul planted it. They had a letter written to them. But what's the verdict on the church? You've lost your first, lost your first love. Uh, you can imagine that they had amazing buildings and amazing programs and amazing outreach, but they'd lost their love for God and they'd lost their love for each other. See, love's at the heart of God, isn't it? 
and love should be at the heart of our church. Now, we all know that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is an amazing love poem, don't we? Now, how many weddings have you been to where they read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? How many weddings have I preached 1 Corinthians 13 as a sermon? But you've got to realize it comes in the context of a letter. Now, what did Paul say in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians? Um, of 1 Corinthians? In chapter 12, he, he looks at the church and he says, Corinthian church, God in his grace and God in his kindness ha- has gifted you. He's given you these grace gifts of, of prophecy and tongues and healings and miracles and administration and, and help. And he, he's given all Christians a gift and you're to use this gift for the common good. And he ends chapter 12 by saying, but desire the greater gifts... He'll come on to that in chapter 14. The greater gifts are the ones that edify the body and build up the body. And I will show you an even better way. What's the better way? It's to make sure that you're using your gifts in a loving kind of way. See, Paul looks at the Corinthian church and he says, you may have the most extraordinary gifts, the most extraordinary gatherings, the most extraordinary outreach, but you're a loveless church. You need love. And my aim tonight is to gently compel us as a church to learn to love like Jesus has loved us. So number one tonight, love supreme. You can tell I'm a Robbie Williams fan. Love supreme. Uh, Paul says, if you have a a spirit of God in you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll seek to love well. Love is not an optional extra. Look at verse 1. If I speak human or angelic languages, but don't have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul says to the Corinthian church, you know, I, I could have the gift of tongues. I could have the, the gift of a human language where I haven't learned a language, but God has gifted me in that. I could have the gift of an angelic language, you know, the speaking in tongues word where in your personal prayer time, you speak a kind of language where, which gives you an intimacy with God. And, and it's an amazing gift. There's nothing wrong with those gifts. They're great gifts from God. But if you're using them Without love, if you're using them selfishly rather than lovingly, what's the word he uses? You're a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's a great analogy. Gongs and cymbals should be used sporadically. Can you imagine going to a, a concert in the opera house and listening for... An hour and a half to someone just bashing a cymbal or sounding a gong. Maybe for two minutes, but for an hour, it's just a loud, irritating noise. And that's the picture here. He says the person in church who who insists on, on using their gift in a selfish way, not a loving way, they stand up and they talk 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 and it's just loud, it's unpleasant, it is irritating. But the shock in verse 1 is that he's not saying the gift is a clanging symbol. See that verse 1? He says, I am a sounding gong or a clanging symbol. 
I might look impressive, but I'm a nobody. Oh, what about the word gifts? Can you imagine, verse 2, that if you had the gift of prophecy, that if you could speak a, a particular word from God into somebody's life, an unmistakable revelation into, into a situation, that would be a great gift. Or if you could understand all mysteries, verse 2, if God gave you the ability to, to have these special revelations, to understand, understand complex theological truths, if you had all knowledge, if you could know God so well through his word, and if you had all faith that you could move mountains, if you had this deep trust in God that you could endure all kinds of persecutions and trust God to do miraculous things. Can you imagine being that kind of person that God had gifted you with prophecy and knowledge and mysteries and faith? You think, wow, what a spiritual giant that person would be. What does Paul say? If you have all those things but you do not have love, if you don't love well, then you're a nobody, you're nothing. Now that's a slap in the face for the Corinthians who thought they were somebodies. How about the person who is doing great things for God? Verse 3. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, if I give everything to those in need, if I turn up next Saturday to the winter appeal with my whole wardrobe and my whole pantry, if I do wayside chapel and help at the food van and feed the homeless, and if, verse 3, I give my body, that is, if I give my life for Christ, if I'm a martyr for Christ, surely that'll speak volumes, I'll, I'll be a saint. And Paul says you may have a plaque in church or your name on some great list of great people and people may be helped. But verse 3, if you don't have love, if love is not at the core of your being, then you gain nothing. See the equation? Anything without love is meaningless. I was thinking how I might rewrite verses 1 to 3 for Church by the Bridge. Here you go. Church by the Bridge, if we have all this Bible knowledge crammed into our heads and run the best Bible studies and preach the best sermons and have the best worship music but have not love for each other and love for God, then we're nobodies. If we do the most amazing mercy ministries down at Greenway and we visit the James Mercer Retirement Village and we run Everyday English and we lead Christianity Explored courses and run playtime and do winter appeals, but if we don't have love, we are nothing. If we use the gift of administration and pastoral care and we show our hospitality by opening our homes each week and we run amazing prayer groups in our workplace and if we give generously with a massive tax deductible donation if we do all these things and say all these things but we don't love well it's utterly utterly meaningless it's confronting isn't it God is saying to us tonight that God cares more about our hearts than he does what, than he cares about what we do not just about what we do it's our motivation for doing it 
you're a Christian here tonight, a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to breathe in God's love and then breathe out God's love. Understand how much God has lavished his love on you so that you can love other people well. So what is love? Love defined. How would you answer this? Love is dot, dot, dot. Our world would say, you know, love is a feeling, love is a gushy, romantic, temporary thought that I fall in love, I fall out of love. What does God say? In this chapter, God does not go into the, you know, the five love languages of words, gift, touch, time, and acts of service. And God doesn't go into the big discussions on different Greek words like agape love or filial love or eros. God actually doesn't have a nice, simple definition of love, does he? God describes what love should look like and builds a picture of what a loving church will be like. It's quite confronting. He starts with the positives in verse 4. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Loving well will mean that you're being patient with each other. If you're loving well, it means that you're not rushing people according to your plan and your agenda. I hope you realize that, that that God often works in ways and at a pace that doesn't quite fit our schedule. People change according to his timing, not our timing. And as, as you live in church together as a community, you need to be patient with each other. Love is kind. I love that word, kind. I think the good Samaritan was kind, wasn't he? Remember that parable? He came across a person in need. He didn't know the person. No one prompted him or prodded him to show kindness, but he just willingly helped that person at a sacrificial cost. That's kindness. To love well means that you... You see a need and you meet that need. You, you say a kind word or you do a kind deed expecting nothing in return. That's loving well. But love doesn't envy, verse 4. Love is not jealous of others. To love well means that you get rid of your comparisons and you get rid of your competitiveness. And we don't walk into church saying, why haven't I been asked to do this? Why can't I have that? There's something beautiful about the church where we delight in each other's gifts rather than begrudging what we haven't got. Love isn't envious and love is not boastful. It doesn't boast, doesn't brag. It's not sort of, look at me, look at me, look at me. You ever had those conversations with people over, over supper where they just seem to talk about themselves all the time? I served for eight hours at the working bee last week and I've been at church all day and I've been doing this and doing that and it's like as though they want some sort of applause. To to love well as a church family means that there's no need for limelight, no attention seeking, no pride. You just humbly get on and just love. Love is not conceited. It's sort of the, the pride word there. 
There's something beautiful about humility and something ugly about pride, isn't there? You ever heard of William Carey? He was a, a famous missionary to, to India. He, he won thousands, if not millions of people for Christ. And if there's a man who could say, you know, there's a, there's a hint of pride in me. It could, it could be William Carey, but he wasn't a proud man. He was a humble man. There's a story of it at a dinner party where uh, uh, another Christian, a, a wealthy Christian said, now, now, Mr. Carey, is it true that you, you used to be a shoemaker? And William Carey said, no, no, sorry, you got, you got that wrong. I, I wasn't a shoemaker, I was, I was just a cobbler. Now, he put himself down the whole time. I'm just a nobody. I'm just a nobody who, in God's kindness, he's opened my eyes to Jesus and he's used me to, to win the lost. There's no hint of pride in the church. If you're going to love well, get rid of your pride. Love doesn't act improperly, verse 5. Love is not ill-disciplined. We're not rude to people. We don't always stomp our feet and scream and shout till we get our own way. You ever seen in, the, you know, in shopping centers the, uh, the mother or the father who's trying to handle a two-year-old having a temp- temper tantrum? I remember carrying one of my children out of a shopping center under my arm, just screaming and all these people looking at me. We're kind of a bit, a bit more subtle in church, aren't we? We don't stomp our feet and we don't scream, but we do have our own little temper tantrums, don't we? We, we give people the cold shoulder. We ignore people. We're rude about people. We talk about them behind their back. That's not loving, is it? Love isn't selfish, verse 5. Love puts the needs of others about your needs, above your needs. I, I remember a really beautiful, loving act I saw at this church where Somebody offered to drive someone home late at night, and it was totally out of the way, like an hour detour. But no thought about themselves and how they're putting themselves. Now, that's the most loving thing to do, isn't it? Love is not provoked. It's not easily angered. The one I find hard is in verse 5. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. We don't walk into church each week with our personal file of personal grievances. You know, that, that person, you gossiped about me two years ago, and you said those things about me, and you hurt me. I'm going to hold that grudge, and, and one day I'm going to pull out that card, and I'm going to get you back. Let's think about it. How would you feel right now if God kept a record of all your wrongs? How would you feel it if God kept an account of everything you'd done wrong? It'd be awful, wouldn't it? But God in his lavish love, what's he done with our record of wrongs? He's, he's torn it up. He, he's burned it up. He, he's thrown to the bottom of the ocean. He does not see your sins anymore. He's lavished you with forgiveness. And if we're to love each other well, one of the, the, the first things to do is to learn to forgive each other. To learn to forgive and work hard at at forgiving the person who's hurt you. Hold no record of wrongs against anybody here, please. Verse 6, love finds no joy in unrighteousness. 
So when we hear of somebody who's slipped into sin, we don't sort of say, oh yeah, that's expected. No, no we, we rejoice in the truth. We point out God's mercy and God's forgiveness and we bear all things, verse 7, and believe all things and hope all things and endure all things. Because 1 Peter 4 says, love covers over multitudes of sins. So now I really wish in verse 7 that, that the word all was not there. <laughs> It'd be nice if Paul had said, love bears some things and love believes some things and love hopes some things and love endures some things because I could come to church and feel good about myself. That word all is quite confronting, isn't it? Listen to Spurgeon. He says, Christian, you must have a fervent charity towards God's people because you will find that the, the best of them will try your patience because like yourself, they are imperfect people and they will not always turn their best sides towards you and sometimes you will see their, all their sin and all their infirmities so be prepared, Christian, to contend with the all things in them. To love them well. And as I prepared to preach this week, I was thinking, oh, how, how superficial and how shallow is the world's definition of love? Love is not just a feeling. Love, love is a deep action to love patiently and kindly and not boasting and not being conceited. But then I realized how shallow my view of love is. And I realize why it's hard for me to sing, show me how to love like you have loved me. Because there are people that it's hard for me to love. So here's what I did this week, and I find it very helpful, and I encourage you to do it this week. I got a piece of paper, and I wrote down names of people. Now, the, the, the person that I was tempted to be impatient with, the person I find it really hard to be kind towards, the person that I was jealous of here at Church by the Bridge, and the person who had hurt me, I, I, actually, deep down, I was harboring a grudge against them. And I wrote down names of people. And I asked God to help me to love them. And over every name, I just put the word love. Love, 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 love. And then I thought... I should be able to read 1 Corinthians 13 with my name in it. Why don't you try it, verse 4? Put your name in there. Paul is patient. Paul is kind. Paul does not envy and Paul is not boastful and Paul is not conceited. And as, you, as you read it, you're just thinking, that is ridiculous. I can't do it. You can't do it and nor can I. But who has done it? Try reading verse 4 again with the name Jesus there. Jesus is patient and Jesus was kind and Jesus did not envy and Jesus was not boastful. Jesus did not act improperly and he did not keep a record of your wrongs. Jesus did bear all things and did believe all things and did hope all things and did endure all things. And my point is this, that we will never learn to love well without Jesus, will we? If you're here tonight and you think you can love well without Jesus, you are mistaken. And when you find it really hard to love, what do you do? Run to Jesus. Ask him to help you. 
That's what I've done time and time and time again this week. Run to Jesus, say, Lord Jesus, help me to love this person well. So why is love important? Thirdly and finally tonight, love is important because it's permanent, it's eternal. It's not a temporary thing. We treat temporary things different to permanent things, don't we? Think about your takeaway coffee cup. If you get a temporary coffee cup, a takeaway coffee cup, I'm assuming you don't go home and wash it up and, and dry it up and put it in your cupboard. I'm assuming you just chuck it in the bin because it's throwaway, isn't it? It's temporary. And Paul's point here is that all the, the good things that God gives us for this life, things to help us to know God better, like tongues and miracles and prophecy and teaching and administration and encouragement and hospitality, all these great gifts of God, they are great gifts, but they're just temporary. They won't last. Because we're heading for a day when we won't need a prophecy to understand God better because we'll see him face to face. And we're heading for a day where you won't need the gift of tongues to have an intimacy with God because you're going to see him in all his flesh and all his glory. That's why he says in verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For today, verse 9, we know in part. There's lots that we still don't know about God. We've got lots of questions about God. But we know God a bit. And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So let me ask you, when will that perfect come? When will that perfect come? It's not now, is it? The perfect will come when you stand in the eternal presence of the perfect one. The perfect will come when you see the Lord Jesus face to face in all his glory. That's when the perfect comes. And when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. You don't need your gifts anymore. Because you're home. It's a bit like a map, isn't it? You you don't need your map book once you've got home. So Paul says, verse 11, just just realize that life in this world is like being a child. As you live here in this world with all these amazing blessings, amazing gifts, please be humble like a child, dependent like a child. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. That's for today. But when the perfect comes, when you become a man, when you become a woman, when you see Jesus face to face on that last day, you put aside the childish things. For now, verse 12, we do see as in a mirror. We see Jesus sort of incompletely. We've got a great view of Jesus, but it's not perfect yet. It's a bit like with, uh, with modern technology. I could use my iPad here, and right here, right now, I could, over the Wi-Fi, just Skype my mother. And you could see my mum here, live at Church by the Bridge, Mrs. Dale. And you'd see her. And you have an idea of who she is, but you don't know her fully, do you? If she were to walk through that door tonight, you, mean, you could see her in the flesh, and you could touch her, and you could feel her, and you could be in her presence. 
That's what verse 12 is getting about. As we live as Christians in this life, we, we see Jesus indistinctly as in a mirror, but then we'll see him face to face. We know him part now, but then you will know him fully. So we're waiting for that day. We're waiting for the day when we have perfection. And that will motivate us to love each other well now. Because these three remain, faith, hope and love. What's the greatest one? Love. Why is love the greatest? Think about that. Why is love the greatest? Surely faith is great, isn't it? Faith is great for the now, but when you see Jesus, will you need faith anymore? You won't need faith on the last day because you've got sight. We need hope now, don't we? But on the last day when you see Jesus, will you need hope then? No, because hope is in a reality. We need love now, don't we? Will you need love on the last day? Yes. Because love is like the eternal language. Love is the eternal currency. And that's why you've got to learn to love well now. Because love lasts beyond this world. So let me ask you, church, by the bridge, how are we doing at loving well? How are we doing at loving well? There's lots of things we do well at church, aren't there? Isn't it amazing that every single Sunday we have six gatherings the music is amazing, and we pray well, and we preach, and, and we, we serve, and we're seeking to engage our community. And my prayer is that God would look at us and we go, all those things that we do well, they're all underpinned by love. And the reason we do all these things is that we love God, and we love each other. So can I encourage you to think hard this week, how are we going at loving well? Who are the people that you need to love better? And how are you going to do that? We're going to pray together. We're going to pray a confession to begin with to acknowledge that we haven't always loved well. And then we're going to have open prayer where you can pray about uh, Vietnam and for the prisoners there. You can pray about winter appeal. You can pray about the mission to Darwin. You can pray about anything you want. Uh, just stand up where you are and with a loud voice lead us in prayer. And then we'll sing two songs about God's love for us.